Well, hello, friends. You're listening to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. I'm Chris, the Communications Director here at Cap City, and I'm so glad that you're listening. In fact, I would love to chat with you, so send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org. We're getting back to our series we're calling Like Me. We've been walking through the book of Jonah, and we're seeing that this isn't just some giant fish story. It's a story about God's grace for a person named Jonah, a story about someone like me. Just a quick recap for you. Jonah was a prophet who was told by God to serve as a missionary to a people called the Assyrians. Jonah had a real beef with the Assyrians, and for good reason. History shows that they were pretty brutal people. So when Jonah gets this call from God, he gets on a boat in the exact opposite direction. So God sends a huge storm to make Jonah turn around. Last time we saw Jonah, he had the sailors in his boat throw him overboard. And that's where we're picking up with our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. Let's get to it. Hey guys, glad you're here. Now I'm going to start off today with our Babylon Bee fix. Here are a couple of their headlines over the last week or so. Starts out with this one. Nations churches provide fog machines for families worshiping at home. I wish we'd been able to do that. That would have been kind of cool, but we don't have them. But I would suggest perhaps putting a vaporizer in the room to give you that kind of that ambiance of worship, maybe shining a couple of flashlights through it. I like this one a whole lot. There's no greater love than a widow putting her last toilet paper roll in the offering plate. Now, that just, that's the ultimate sacrifice today, isn't it? Or how about this one? Parents are worried that they might have to raise their own kids as the government schools shut down. And I'm kind of wondering how many parents are trying to figure out when their kids turn into barbarians. Or one more. This one's pretty funny. A miracle. Coronavirus passes over houses with Chick-fil-A sauce smeared on their doorposts. <laughs> That's quite an idea. They're not open today, but just drive through there, drive through tomorrow, and they should be open, and you can pick up some sauce and give it a shot. So, life's clicking along, and someone asks, how are you? And usually you're like, well, pretty much the same, same old, month after month, year after year, and, and then something happens. It changes everything. Our normal rhythms, our normal plans, routines all come to a screeching halt. It's kind of like someone reaches up and presses a giant pause button, but when you try to press it again to resume, it's all different. You're not sure what's going to happen next. You're not sure how you're supposed to respond. Now, sometimes the pause buttons are kind of small to the world, although they're still big to us, just affecting me, my family, maybe a few friends. Maybe you get a pink slip. Your routines, your plans, your dreams, they all come to a screeching halt. Or there's an accident, like maybe you fall off a scaffold or something. Or there's a diagnosis that just cannot be ignored. Life changes. Or maybe there's a phone call in the middle of the night, or your serve papers, or your child is arrested. They're, they're pause buttons. Normal goes out the window for a while. And sometimes the pause buttons are more sweeping in the numbers they affect. Does the date October the 29, 1929 mean anything to you? There are probably just the barest few who can actually remember where they were on that day, what they were doing. How about December the 7th, 1941? Any of you old guys remember that date? A day when everything changed for quite some time? How about November the 22nd, 1963? More of us remember that one. I remember hearing the news that day on the playground of Monroe Elementary School in San Jose, California. I was nine. 
I still remember today. Most of us probably remember September the 11th, 2001. I think I was on hole 17 over at Ducker's Golf Course when I got a, a phone call urging me to get to a TV. That pause button led to my son, Andy, spending a year in Iraq in harm's way. But I suppose this one's different in a lot of ways. This one kind of snuck up on many. We started reading reports of a potentially dangerous new strain of what, flu? We watched as it spread and we wondered. We watched as they tried to contain it and it wouldn't be contained. It crossed the ocean, Washington, California, eventually New York, then Kentucky, then Franklin County. We watched the stock market plummet, the shutdowns, the run on toilet paper, go figure. I guess some people think it's all about diarrhea on steroids. And we've seen the panic, so much panic, and people out there kind of like stoking the panic. Come on, guys. And so here we are for the first time in the history of Capital City doing our worship live stream, thinking it's the best we can do in the short term. Guys, we'll be back. And all the while, we're in the middle of a series on Jonah which creates a bit of a conundrum for us. Should we just move forward in this Jonah series or should we stop the series, pause the series to address the fears that this crisis has stoked? Kind of like we did last week. But what if this Jonah series was not an accident? Now guys, I hate blaming things on God, but what if there really is something in this Jonah story that speaks directly to people like us in a time like this? As my preaching partner and I pondered our options, we decided to plow forward in the book of Jonah because we think it does have something to say for today for us. And thinking, in fact, maybe God has us here for a reason and hoping that God is honored. Now, guys, we're to the part of the story of Jonah that everyone fixates on. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, whether you've heard of Jonah, you've heard of Jonah and the the fish or the whale, right? And we kind of grew up thinking that's what Jonah's all about. Some dude swallowed by a fish. Then as we get older, we start scratching our heads a little bit and thinking, fish can't do that, can they? They can't swallow a man whole. I mean, we, we, we know fish can eat you. We've all seen jaws. But no man's going to hang out in the belly of a fish for three days and come out kicking, can he? You know, it would be a little hard to breathe after a while. And what about all the stomach acids? And we get so hung up on the fish that we miss what the story is really all about. Guys, Jonah is not the story of a fish. It's barely the story of a guy named Jonah. It is a God story. It's a grace story. In fact, one of the lessons this little book teaches us is that no matter who you are, whether you're a prophet of God like Jonah, a pastor like me, a Jesus follower like so many of you guys, or anybody really, anytime we take our eyes off of God, we can miss the wonder and the power and the challenge of grace. So let's kind of catch up to where we are in the story. The story opens with God assigning Jonah on a mission to preach to the most hated people of their, of their world, a place called Nineveh. I mean, these Ninevites would make ISIS and Al-Qaeda look like choir boys. 
Jonah boxed. Of course he boxed. Not only was he scared, he didn't think that these Ninevites deserve a chance with God. They deserve hell. So instead of heading east towards Nineveh, he hops on a boat and starts heading west, where he runs into God in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It's kind of funny how that works. Whenever we try to run away from God, he's always out there in front of us anyway. So God sends this unnaturally fierce storm, and the pagans who owned the boat panicked. You can always tell when pagans panic because they start praying just in case, I guess, kind of like now. You suppose there are a few prayers going up to God right now from people that he hasn't heard from for a while? Anyway, these pagans discover that this God, Yahweh, Israel's God, our God, this Yahweh is the one who sent the storm because of Jonah, his prophet. And Jonah tells them that the only way to save themselves is to throw him overboard, which they reluctantly do. And God's waiting for him. And that's where we are in the story, right at the part everybody knows and so many laugh at. Now, here's what it says. It says, the sailors picked Jonah up, and they threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. And the sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power. They offered him a sacrifice, and they vowed to serve him. All that part is cool. And then here it is. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish, a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights before the fish spits him out whole. Guys, I love telling stories. But my kids and my grandkids know that when I start telling stories, I'm just yanking their chains. Well, this story is as good as any of the whoppers I've thought of. I mean, really? Dig around the internet for a few minutes and you'll discover there are a couple of fish out there that might have the physiology to swallow a man whole, but he's not coming out alive after three days. You might even run across one or two stories about some guy who's actually cut out of the belly of a whale and who survived, but you might discover that the story wouldn't pass the Snopes tests, which is why Jonah is one of the most well-known and most doubted and mocked stories in all the Bible. In fact, it absolutely fascinates me how much time and energy people have spent trying to figure out whether the swallowed-by-a-fish part of the story is scientifically possible. In part, I think, because they figure if they can discount the fish, maybe they can discount God. As if what a person decides about this story has anything to do with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I mean, even Bible scholars, read Bible scholars and you'll hear them using different terms about Jonah as they're speculating what it is. Is it a myth, a legend, a fairy tale, a fable, wild imagination? Some of them guess moral fiction, parable, historical allegory. And many of them, the evangelical scholars, just call it history. You know why? Because they understand that trying to establish the story as scientifically plausible misses the point. It pisses, misses the point of any miracle. See, I don't really care if they can prove scientifically that there really is a fish that can swallow a man and then spit him out whole three days later and he survives. What I care about, guys, is whether there is a God. And I think there is. I mean, the idea that this whole universe just popped into existence on its own out of nothing, that's crazy. 
way crazier than the fish story of Jonah. The idea that everything that is just gradually morphed into what it is now on its own without a designer, that takes way more faith than I've got. Because you see, what I care about is whether there really is a God. Because unless your God is really, really puny, you can't discount the possibility of a miracle, can you? I mean, the God who spoke the universe into existence with a few words, you think pulling off a story like this one in Jonah would be too hard for him? Seriously? Because in reality, every miracle, every miracle is a fish story, isn't it? The reason we call them miracles is that they are not normal. They're not natural. They can't be accounted for scientifically. Think about it. A virgin birth walking on the water, stilling a storm with a word, healing a man who was lame from birth just by touching him, raising the dead, being raised from the dead. Every one of those is just as scientifically implausible as the fish story in Jonah, isn't it? But if there really is a God, and if God really is omnipotent, so I guess the real question is this, do you believe in God? And do you think he's all-powerful? But here's the deal. Maybe this fish swallowing Jonah and spitting him out three days later is not what this story is really all about. Maybe the miracle part of the story is kind of little. Guys, I'm afraid we get so wrapped up in the fish story that we miss the incredible lessons, the incredible gems of this little book. Maybe it's really about a guy, a guy like me and you. Maybe, in fact, it's really a story about God. Maybe it's really a story about grace. So here's what it says. It says the Lord, literally it says Yahweh, the God of Israel, our God. Yahweh arranged for or appointed or assigned a great fish to swallow Jonah. That was God's doing. Now, guys, this wasn't a cosmic temper tantrum. God's not like, Jonah, you diss me, and I'm going to give you a taste of hell. This is what some people call one of those severe mercies, severe mercies. Because, guys, sometimes a man has to eat some dirt before he comes to his senses. In fact, I hope most of you can look back on your life and see some of the really toughest times and recognize that God is trying to grow you up through some of those times. Now, most of us, most of the time, God's severe mercies are not quite like this one. Usually, guys, listen, usually God does not choreograph our black holes. God doesn't give us the cancer. He doesn't take our kid. He doesn't get us fired. But God never wastes a black hole if we let him work on us. Here's the deal, guys. Sometimes we just don't get it until we're broken. In fact, most of the time, I think we can't see how screwed up we are and how impotent we are to fix things or how incredible God's grace is until we hit bottom. Because on the bottom is where God's severe mercies do their best work on us. You see, guys, Jonah was a mess and he just didn't get it. Jonah feared grace. He feared that grace would be extended to his enemies. He didn't understand that when a man has been graced, 
and he really understands how much he's been graced, he's got to allow that grace to flow through him too. There was a fatal flaw in Jonah that he couldn't recognize as long as life was going well. It took utter failure and utter helplessness to finally crack open his eyes. Then he got the faintest inklings of grace. Here's what it says. Finally, after three days and nights in the belly of the fish, Jonah prays. Took him three days to get there. I mean, how long would it take for God to get your attention? Jonah looks like he was a pretty stubborn guy. Some of us are. But here's what he finally prays. He says, finally, I called to you, God. I called to you from the land of the dead because that's kind of where Jonah is. Lord, you heard me. Heard him even from the land of the dead because there is nowhere that God is not. God, you threw me into the ocean depths and I sank down to the heart of the sea. Scary place. Mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Buried there. Do you hear his impotence? The notion that he recognizes that he's hosed? And then I said, Jonah says, Oh Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Actually, that's what it felt like. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. Smart man. I sank beneath the waves. The water closed over me, which is terrifying. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head, which is disgusting. Listen, I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. I was imprisoned. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates lock shut forever. And finally, Jonah is broken. Guys, this grace of God, it's really hard for us to get it. Our minds are too little, our hearts are too hard, too proud. And the grace of God is mind-blowing. One great teacher says that there are three prerequisites, three, three requirements to get just an inkling of how big God's grace is and to start to accept it and to start to live in it. And when you start living in it, that's when it becomes a game changer, even in a time like this. And in the first half of Jonah's prayer, you can see Jonah starting to get it. Here's the first piece. Listen. To get an inkling of grace, we have to admit that we're broken. You have to admit that you are broken. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. He says, everyone has sinned. That's all of us. All of us fall short of God's glorious standard. He says in another place, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking after God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Guys, that's the Apostle Paul. I'm not the exception, and I don't think you are either. We are broken. Guys, that's hard for us to get in a world that obsesses over self-esteem, in a world that constantly tries to shift the boundaries of sin so it defines somebody else but not me, in a world that's trying to eradicate guilt and shame. We spend our time trying to justify sin and explain it away and rationalize it. Anything we can do to disconnect from our sin because the truth is too painful. Now, apparently there was a show that kept repeating the phrase, I'm just trying to live my truth. I'm just trying to live my truth. They kept saying it over and over again. What's it even mean? 
And they would justify whatever action they wanted to take by saying, I'm just trying to live my truth. Guys, that's crazy. As if we can make up our own truth to justify behaving however we want. Apparently, for the show, they thought it was smart, sophisticated, philosophical, and wise. In their mind, that was right. That was good. Guys, in a culture like ours, the idea that we are really guilty sinners comes across as oppressive and evil and even dangerous. And because of that, our culture has tried to make our need for grace into an insult, which blinds us to grace. How sad is that? When I was teaching Romans at the college, I used to tell some of the students, guys, you haven't sinned enough yet to understand grace. You haven't been broken yet, but you will be. You know that you sin, but you haven't really embraced the fact that you're a sinner. Well, the best place to learn the greatest secrets of grace is at the bottom of a black hole. Peace too. To get an inkling of grace, we must confess that we can't fix ourselves. We're broken and we can't fix it. We're not good enough, smart enough, strong enough. See, I, I not only sin, as I said, I am a sinner. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians of all times, he put it like this. He says, I want to do what's right, but I can't on my own. I want to do what's good, but I don't on my own. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Jesus followers ever. And if we could get that, if we could admit that, Jonah's starting to get there. Listen to some of the words of his prayer. He says, I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Buried. I'm not getting out. I sank beneath the waves. The water closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. He's done. He says, I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned, imprisoned in the earth, and here it is, whose gates lock shut forever, for forever. In other words, he confesses, I'm at the very bottom, and there is absolutely nothing that I can do about it. That's a great place to be with God. See, until we get that, the magnitude of God's grace never really blows our minds. See, I don't just sin, I am a sinner. And no matter how smart I am, no matter how hard I try, no matter what the world tells me, without God, I am hosed. And you are too. You see, sinner is not something we've done, it's who we are. And only God can fix that. Now, Jonah's almost there. He's not quite there, but he's almost there. Because... Knowing that I'm broken and knowing that I can't fix me isn't quite enough. In a little different context, the Apostle Paul said one time, we rejoice when we run into problems and trials, kind of like the stuff we're facing today, right? Because we know that these trials and problems can help us develop endurance. And endurance develops the strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Now, wouldn't it be cool if it always worked that way? Wouldn't it be cool if troubles and trials always led to hope? But they don't. Even the great theologian John Calvin said, not always, 
Because it depends. It depends on whether in your troubles and trials you reach for God or you push him away. It depends on whether the problems lead you to trust in God or grow to hate him. Jonah starts edging towards trust. Verse 6. You, O Lord my God, you snatched me from the jaws of death. Now you got to understand, when he says this, you snatched me from the jaws of death, he's still in the belly of the whale. And I don't think he had any idea that a physical rescue was coming yet. But even in the face of death, he understands that there's something infinitely more important than physical life. God is already saving him from a fate way worse than death. He says, as my life is slipping away, I remembered the Lord. How cool is that? He says, my earnest prayer went out to you in your temple. I just wonder, are you there yet? Is all this stuff causing you to start thinking about God, reaching for God? Because Jonah's story is really our story, isn't it? Are you starting to refocus on God yet? He says, those who worship false God turn their backs on all of God's mercies. How stupid is that? But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I will fulfill my vows. And here it is. This is the part that we need to get. Because my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Jonah's so close. Did you know that we're closer? Because we know something about God that Jonah didn't know. Jonah didn't fully understand how much grace would cost God. He had no idea of the sacrifice God would make to grace us, a sacrifice we remember every single week as Jesus' followers when we eat the bread, which represents the body of Christ broken for us, and drink the cup, which represents the blood of Christ shed for us to cover our sins. Jonah had no idea that someday God's own son would spend three days in the belly of the whale so we wouldn't have to. See, that's piece three. Here are the pieces. To get an inkling of grace, we must admit that we're broken. To get an inkling of grace, we must confess that we can't fix ourselves. To get an inkling of grace, we have to realize what grace cost our God, the amazing lengths to which our God would go to save us. Now, don't you love the way Jonah closes his prayer? He says, for my salvation, my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Only from the Lord. Your salvation comes only from the Lord. Because Jonah recognized something that we need to get. Remember, he's still in the fish. The rescue that he needed most was not from the belly of the fish. The rescue that we need most is not from some pesky virus. Oh, that'd be cool. But that's a temporary rescue. Guys, wouldn't a few days in any black hole, any black hole, be worth enduring if it meant recovering peace with God for now and for forever? Don't miss that part. Don't miss the fact that Jonah starts praising God before the fish ever spits him out. Looks like he starts praising God before he has any inkling that the fish was going to spit him out. Because it looks like Jonah finally understands that the salvation he needs most is not physical. Just like the rescue, the salvation we need most is not physical. See, this black hole that we're in just reminds us 
of things we should already know. We're messed up. Our priorities are messed up. We can't fix those things that are most important. They take an act of God, a Savior, and real salvation comes from the Lord alone. See, guys, Jonah is really not a fish story. Jonah's a God story. Jonah's a grace story. Jonah is our story. Think about it. Any of you guys feel like you're kind of falling into a black hole? Any of you guys feel helpless to do anything about it? Any of you guys sense that this crisis is exposing how messed up our priorities really are? Can you get an inkling of how much we need God? And can you get, can you get it that peace with God will give you an immense source of strength, peace and hope right here, right now? Guys, God didn't just tell us about grace. I suppose that he knew that just telling us about it wouldn't be enough. So he sent Jesus. And Jesus makes all the difference in the world at a time like this, for now and for forever. Now guys, I hope that you're gonna join us next week. And next week we're gonna discover that this taste of grace that Jonah had kind of wore off like it does with most of us. You see, repentance isn't something we do just once. It's something we've got to do over and over and over again. But that's next week. Let's pray together. Now, Father, it's an amazing story, and when we think about it, it is our story. And if we could understand, if we could admit that we're broken, if we could admit that we can't fix the things that are the most important, we could admit that your grace is stunning. What it cost you? It would change our lives. It would change today. It would change forever. Give us the wisdom to keep our eyes on you, keep focused, to reset our priorities, and to stand tall as Jesus' followers. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.